Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, hey, Happening. A good Tuesday morning to all of you. Thanks for joining me. As always, it is very much appreciated. Well, most of you, Patriots fans, wanted change. You wanted lots of change this offseason. And we have seen so far for February 20th a ton of change. And we'll get into that in just a couple of minutes. But we begin with the expected but breaking news this morning. Matthew Slater has retired. Just a couple of words. Look, Slater is one of the best, if not the best, special teams players of all time. And I'm not just saying that because he's a Patriot. It's well-documented on the film, how coaches feel about him. Slater will go down as one of the best, if not the best ever on special teams. He is an all-time Patriot, spent 15, 16 seasons with the organization. He was a leader of men. He was always accountable and responsible. He was always a fantastic, realistic quote in that locker room. He led this team through his actions, and through his words. And so Slater will go down as one of the best Patriots that I have witnessed during my time as a Patriots fan and covering this team with the media. And he will go down as one of the best of all time at what he does throughout the league. So props to Matthew Slater. Nobody has a bad word to say about this guy. Everybody will speak glowingly of him, whether it's the media, teammates, coaches, everybody, two-way person will tell you how great of a human being Matthew Slater is. So shout out to Slater. A terrific career. Ended on his terms. He posted a tremendous message today to fans, former teammates, coaches, all that stuff. You can check it out. It's very long, but it's well worth the read. So congratulations to him on a terrific career. And I'm fascinated to see what the future holds for him. Many wonder if he'll get into coaching. Many wonder if he'll get into uh, religion a little bit more deeper. As we know, he's a very religious man, so maybe he'll get involved with that side of the world. But I just look at Slater and believe that no matter what he chooses to do, he's going to be fantastic at doing that. So congratulations to Matthew Slater on a tremendous career. And thanks to Thomas, who chipped in with a $50 super chat. Always appreciate the super chats. That's how you financially contribute to the show. By the way, somebody asked me, in the comments last night, I wouldn't usually do this, but because somebody asked me, they asked me, hey, Nick, I don't watch the show live. How can I chip in? How can I help? How can I contribute? Well, there is a super thanks that you can send. Uh, that always helps. So that is an avenue that you can go if you do want to contribute to the show. 
Thomas jumps in after that uh, contribution and says, hey, Nick, listening every day. Great stuff. Thanks a lot. Get a few brewskis. Well, thank you, Thomas. Again, I appreciate that. And uh, I certainly will have a few craft beers this weekend, as I always do with the wifey. So <laughs> never miss the opportunity to have a couple of cold ones. All right. So Matthew Slater, again, congratulations on a tremendous career. But let's get to more change. Gerard Mayo and Elliot Wolf have overhauled this offensive staff. I heard from so many of you during last football season, during the early portions of this offseason, many of you, many of you wanted change. You were desperate for change on the offensive side. Nick, we've got to get rid of these guys. We've got to get rid of O'Brien. We've got to get rid of this one. We've got to get rid of that one. It's been a disaster, and I agreed. I agreed with most of what you had to say, even though I think Bill O'Brien got a little bit of a tough opportunity here last year given the circumstances. I agreed with you. If there was one side of the football that needed change and needed lots of change, it was the offense, and that's what we've seen. Your wishes, they have been granted. A couple of new names yesterday came out via the Patriots. Your new wide receivers coach replacing Troy Brown is Tyler Hughes. He was a Patriots offensive assistant from 20 to 22, offensive quality control coach for Washington last year, and, of course, that might raise some eyebrows because when you look at Washington, you've got a number of players that might actually play a role here with the Patriots come draft time. You've got Roma Dunze. You've got Michael Penix. You've got McMillan. So you've got three guys who are likely going to be drafted in the first two or three rounds in late April, and you wonder how much Hughes' experience with those players will lend itself into the pre-draft process in trying to evaluate those guys because he knows them personally. Just an interesting little tidbit. I don't think it's the number one reason why he got the gig, but it does play a role within all of this. Back in 2013, he was a quality control coach and worked with quarterbacks at Ohio State. Not a ton of NFL experience, and that surprised me. You know, I thought looking at this offense, the scheme, how it's run, the responsibilities for the wide receivers to be precise, I figured you might see a more experienced head as the wide receivers coach, so that caught me off guard. I expected a veteran with this West Coast offense, but they go with a younger guy in Hughes. Now, I do think there's a caveat to that, which we'll get into in a minute, and it has to do with the next new name that we learned of yesterday, Bob Bicknell. Now, he's going to be the new tight ends coach. He worked with Alex Van Pelt in Cincinnati in 2018-2019. He's a Massachusetts guy, so shout out. Welcome home, Bob. He's been all over the place. <laughs> this guy had, like, jobs all over the NFL, okay? He was an offensive line coach early in his NFL career. He caught uh, he, he coached tight ends from 2009 to 2011. He was a wide receivers coach from 2012 to 2016. He went to Baylor in 2017 to be their wide receivers coach. He was the wide receivers coach for Cincinnati from 18 to 20, again, coaching with Van Pelt on that staff. And he was a senior offensive assistant for the New Orleans Saints in both 22 and 23. So when we look at this, and I'll dive more into this in a couple of minutes. But when we look at this, what's interesting to me is the experience mixed with the youth. And I think when you look at Mayo and Wolf, that's what they were targeting here. Let's get some new blood, but let's have some experience to support that new blood. And so when we look at Hughes, to go back to this idea that he's relatively new to the NFL, doesn't have a ton of experience coaching in the league. Well, you actually support him, right? Tyquan Underwood, 
will be his assistant wide receivers coach. Underwood does have some experience. When you look at Bicknell, just tons of experience at the NFL level coaching wide receivers. So when you look at the lack of experience for Hughes, I don't think it's crazy to believe that Bicknell, the new tight ends coach, will lend a hand at times if needed to the wide receiver group because he has been a wide receivers coach at a bunch of different places, including when he coached with Van Pelt. So I think he could help Hughes with the wide receivers with his history. And of course, Ben McAdoo could help with his history. Now, offensive staff overall, again, tons of change. Your OC is Alex Van Pelt. Your quarterback's coach is TC McCartney. Running back's coach is Taylor Embry. Haven't talked about him on the podcast. Surprising fire by the New York Jets. He worked with Brees Hall. He's very well respected. Evan Lazar had a lot of good things to say about him and how the league looks at him. So they bring in Embry, who also has experience with Kyle Shanahan back in 2017 to 2019. Wide receivers coach is Tyler Hughes. Assistant wide receivers coach is Tyquan Underwood. Bicknell, tight ends. Scott Peters, offensive line. Robert Kugler is somebody we haven't talked about on this podcast. He's your assistant offensive line coach, and he is well thought of. Mike Giardi wrote about him and posted about him, calling him a rising star, saying people in the NFL think he could end up being a future offensive coordinator. Lazar said that he's up and coming, so Kugler's another one of those young coaches on the offensive side of the football that is very respected throughout the league. People think highly of this guy. Your offensive coaching assistant quality control is Michael McCarthy, and of course you've got Ben McAdoo. Now, Troy Brown. Many people wonder, What is going to happen with Troy Brown? Troy Brown is returning. We have no idea what gig he's going to have. It's been reported he's going to return. He's going to stay on this staff, but a title has not been figured out just yet. So Troy Brown will be a part of the Patriots coaching staff. He will not be the wide receivers coach. That much we know. Title to be determined. Doug Kide had that first yesterday. Also returning to the staff, is Evan Rothstein. Now, he's somebody who worked with Matt Patricia in Detroit, but he was there before Patricia got there. He worked under three different coaches in Detroit. He is another guy who is seen as somebody as super intelligent. He was the assistant quarterback's coach last year. So that is your offensive staff. While you're watching, while you're listening, don't forget to like this program. Yesterday was the best performing episode that we've had since the beginning of this podcast in a 24-hour period. And it's because of all of you watching, listening, hitting that thumbs up, taking that split second of your time to help this show grow. It means the world to me. So like, comment, and subscribe. We jumped up a bunch of subscriptions yesterday, trying to hit 2,000 by March 1st. So let's hit that goal. We're about 50 away. So don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, and review. So when you look at this in totality, I can't tell you if this is going to work. I can't tell you if any of these coaches are going to be fantastic. I can't sit here and guarantee you that this is going to be a successful offensive staff. I also can't tell you that it's going to fail. I can't tell you they're going to be terrible. I find it hilarious and somewhat entertaining that people are already going out there and saying this is going to be miserable when we haven't seen this staff coach together. We have no clue what this is going to look like, and we also don't know what kind of talent this team is going to have. We don't know who the quarterback is. We don't know who the wide receiver one is. We don't know what tight end is going to look like. We don't know what these starting tackles are going to be. So we don't know. 
We don't know what we don't know. So when I look at these things in the offseason, I judge and evaluate the idea. I try to figure out whether or not I understand what the team is trying to do. Because I can't guarantee you it's going to fail. I can't guarantee you it's going to succeed. The only thing I can sit here and look at and answer for you right now is, does it make sense? And as this process has moved forward, it's made more and more sense to me. I get a kick out of people thinking that Gerard Mayo and Elliott Wolf had no plan on offense. I'm not buying that narrative. I'm not picking up what those people are putting down. No way, no how. I do believe they had a plan. The plan was to get away from Earhart Perkins. The plan was to move towards West Coast offense. The plan was to try to get Zach Robinson or Nick Cayley. And when those two guys didn't work out, they pivoted and went to Alex Van Pelt, who reportedly was being looked at in the Ben McAdoo role. So they pivoted, brought Van Pelt in, brought McAdoo in, done with that. But the idea that Mayo didn't have a vision, I don't agree with that because everybody that he interviewed, pretty much to a man, had a background in the West Coast offense. It's rather obvious to anybody paying attention to this, he wanted to get away from the Bill O'Brien, Josh McDaniels, Charlie Weiss offense, and he wanted to evolve and move to a West Coast offense. If you don't get that, I can't help you. So the idea of this staff is growing on me. The offensive staff, look, we needed a cleansing. We needed a deep, thorough cleansing of most of this staff. New faces, a new scheme, and a new approach. And that's what we're getting. That's a win. I like that idea. Again, can't tell you it's going to succeed or fail because i got to see these guys in action and I've got to see who's on the roster. But do I like the idea? of moving away from the old offense and changing and bringing new faces and new voices in? Yes, I do. The other thing that I really like about this staff is that there is a focus on quarterback support. T.C. McCartney, devoted quarterbacks coach. AVP, McAdoo, Hughes, they all have experience working with quarterbacks. Van Pelt obviously played the position in the NFL. So that is another idea that I like. You move away from the old offense and you are focusing on a staff that has experience with the quarterback position, has developed quarterbacks at different levels, and will support the quarterback, whoever that is that you bring in. Whether it's Brissett, Mayfield, anybody that you draft, you are bringing in a staff that has that experience to help the most pivotal position in the league. And that is something that the prior regime did not do. That, to me, is a win. I also really like the idea of bringing in a bunch of young heads. Because as I've talked about, you need to develop coach staff depth. And if you're looking at offensively, why does Sean McVay always seem to crank out these assistant coaches and put them in positions to succeed? Same thing with Shanahan. It's because they're always building the depth within their staff. They don't just stick to their three, four, five guys. They go out, they find younger coaches. McVay has done that this week. He's brought a couple of, you know, 30-somethings in there to L.A. So that's what you do. You build the staff. You build that depth. And you bring in young, potential, smart coaches. And when you look at this staff, you've got the older guys, right, like Van Pelt and McAdoo. You've got those experienced cats, Bicknell, who's been all over the place. You've got that experience. But underneath that experience, 
You've got a layer of young potential coaches. And I like that idea. Can't tell you if McCartney is going to be great. Can't tell you if Embry is going to be awesome. Can't tell you if Kugler is going to be outstanding. But I can tell you that all of those guys are well-respected. All of those guys are young. And all of them bring potential in coaching staff depth. McCartney's 34. Embry's 33. Kugler's freaking 31 years old. So the young depth underneath the experienced heads. And you also have insurance for Alex Van Pelt. Let's say Van Pelt's a nightmare. Well, if you've got a pivot, you have it. You can pivot to McAdoo. You can pivot to one of these younger guys and give them the opportunity. So you have some insurance for Alex Van Pelt in case he's a disastrous play caller. You can move away from him quickly, and you can move away from him to somebody else who's going to call plays but has experience in the same kind of system, which is crucial. I'll get to that in a minute. We've got a bunch of super chats. Again, if you want to jump to the front of the line with your comments and your thoughts, your questions, you can do that by sending a super chat. Don't forget to give us that like. All likes matter. Absolutely love the likes. Every single one counts for us. The more likes, the more eyeballs. So don't forget to like and don't forget to subscribe. As far as subscriptions, trying to hit 2,000 by March 1st, we are inching closer and closer to that mark. So don't forget to subscribe. All right, let's get to Kyle Mania Fitness. Do you think they're trying to build a long-term staff that grows with the Patriots by bringing in these younger, less experienced guys? Yes, I do, Kyle. I absolutely do. You bring in the McCartneys. You bring in the Embrys. You bring in the Kuglers because these guys will get promoted. Don't forget, Gerard Mayo talked about titles. This is very different. This is massive change within the Patriots system. I understand some people, they might look at this and go, it's a coaching staff. These are huge changes. You're overhauling the offensive staff. You're not only overhauling it, you're announcing the staff in February, which never happened with the prior regime. And you are giving every single one of these guys a title. So we know who has what role within this coaching staff. And so as you go along, the McCartneys of the world, you look at that guy and you say, okay, well, maybe he comes a, uh, becomes a passing game coordinator at some point. Maybe, beca- maybe he becomes an offensive coordinator if Van Pelt doesn't work out. Kugler, assistant offensive lines coach, thought to be maybe a guy that could be an OC in the future. So maybe you bump him to offensive lines coach if Peters doesn't work out. Or maybe he takes a run game coordinator position down the road and you bring in another young coach. This is how it works. And so, yes, I do believe that the young guys, the Embrys, the Kuglers, the McCartneys, the McCarthys, those guys are going to be here. And if all works out, they grow and develop within this staff. Money Banks throws in a super chat of $2. Thank you, Money Banks. I appreciate that. Means the world to me. Again, every one of these super chats means an awful lot. Devin Allen jumps in. The free agent class next year seems like it could be stacked. Do you wait to next year to go big at wide receiver? Higgins and IU could be free agents if not traded. Well, I think you've got to address it now because there's no guarantee you're going to be able to land anybody in 2025, right? So if there's somebody out there that is available that you like, and I've said Calvin Ridley's my guy, and I I know some other people have said that recently over the past few days, Uh, I have long liked Calvin Ridley 
I said last week, I think it was last week, that Ridley would be my top target in free agency because I think T. Higgins is going to be off the market. And I would rather sign Calvin Ridley because it's only going to cost me money versus going out and trading for a T. Higgins because now you're giving up a pick. So how much of a difference is there between Ridley and T. Higgins? I don't think it's a huge amount to give up a pick. So Calvin Ridley would be my guy. I don't think you can risk it. It's similar to the quarterback thing that we talk about. Some people are afraid of picking a quarterback at number three because the team's not ready yet. I disagree with that notion. There's no guarantee you're going to be in the top three ever again in the draft. This is the highest pick that you've had since, what, 1993 when you drafted Bledsoe. So there's no guarantee that you will be back in this kind of spot with this opportunity to draft a quarterback that could be an impact quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years. Again, if you love the guy, that's always the underlying theme to this. If you don't love the guy that's going to be there, then it doesn't matter. It's not even worth the conversation. But if you love the quarterback at three, you take the quarterback at three because there's no guarantee you're ever going to find somebody who's better than that guy down the road. I feel the same way about free agency at wide receiver this year. You could get Ayuk next year. You could get Higgins next year. But if you can get Ridley right now and it's a guarantee, I'm taking Ridley. Give me the immediate upgrade. Money Banks is back. $10 Super Chat. Thank you. What do you think of the idea of franchising a Wenu to play guard, signing a guy like Jonah Williams, drafting a tackle in the second round? I, I think that they should absolutely prioritize Michael Wenu. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that there, Money Banks. Leave you up there for the Super Chat. I, I think, you know, when you look at the franchise tag and what the Patriots are going to do. It really comes down to two guys, right? It's it's going to be either Kyle Duggar or Michael Wenu if you use that tag. So when you look at the franchise tag, if you're going to use that to try to sign somebody long-term, I would rather them put that tag on Michael Wenu and work out a long-term extension because offensive line is so critical. And I know that Owenu might not be the best tackle, and you might end up settling at guard with him eventually down the road, but we know he can play tackle, and he was at least a good tackle, and a good tackle is better than, let me check, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Zero tackles. So I would bring a Wenu back. Absolutely. Jonah Williams is another guy that I'd look at. Williams has played both left side and right side. I think you could easily bring him in. I don't think he's going to cost a ton of money. So I would absolutely entertain the idea of Williams. And yes, I would use a pick on a tackle. I've said that. To me, wide receiver is the third priority for this football team. Quarterback, tackle, wide receiver. When you look at offensive needs, those are my top three in that order. Let's go back to the staff. Again, thank you. Like, comment, subscribe, super chats. We welcome on all in. Almost everyone on this offensive staff, this is something else that I like, has experience with Shanahan, McVay, Kubiak, those iterations of the West Coast offense. Almost all of these guys have dipped their little toes, or maybe big toes. I don't know. I haven't seen their feet. They dipped their feet and their toes in the West Coast waters, right? 
A lot of guys with experience with Shanahan, guys with experience with Kubiak and Stefanski, guys with experience, you know, under that tree. And so everybody is on the same page. Alex Van Pelt is going to walk in. He's going to say, this is what we're doing offensively. And pretty much everyone in that room, almost everyone in that room, has experience with that kind of offensive system. Helps out with communication. Helps out with coaching and developing. Everybody's on the same page. You know what you're running. You know why you're running it. I love that idea. Again, can't tell you the staff is going to succeed or fail. I can only tell you whether I like the theory. I love the idea of this staff. And I I really like the idea of this staff. It has been growing on me the more names that come out. And finally, you know, Van Pelt got some of his guys, right? McCartney, Bicknell, Peters, McAdoo. Those four guys have coached with Alex Van Pelt. This is not a Bill O'Brien scenario where you bring somebody in and you don't allow them to bring anybody else in on their staff outside of Will Long, the tight ends coach a year ago. Van Pelt has had a heavy hand in bringing in some of these guys, which I think makes all the sense in the world. Communication, trust, I say this all the time, relationships matter. All right, we've got more thoughts on the coaching staff. I've got to get to a couple of guys that were released yesterday by the Patriots. I will get to all of that. First, like and subscribe. Don't forget, trying to hit 2,000 subscriptions by March 1st. We're about 50 away. I appreciate everybody that will subscribe to this podcast and that spend and invest your time with me doing this. I appreciate every single one of you. And don't forget to rate and review if you are listening on Spotify, Apple Pods. Okay, little sweeter. Do you think AVP will be a good OC even though he – uh has limited time uh, calling plays, and who is your dream pick at three? Well, a little sweeter, couple things. Uh, I do think that AVP could end up being a good offensive coordinator, but again, we don't really know until he's dealing with the bullets that are flying. I will say this. The idea that AVP is not going to be a good OC because he hasn't done it a lot, I don't buy that. Everybody has to be an OC for the first time. Zach Robinson has never called plays. He's going to Atlanta. Everybody is ranting and raving about Zach Robinson. And look, Robinson, he's got all the things on his resume that you look for, but he's never called plays. Mike McDaniel, before he got to Miami, never called a play. Zach Taylor, never really called a play. Brian Callahan, who was just named the head coach in Tennessee, he's never called an offensive play. So number one, Never calling offensive plays doesn't automatically rule you out as a good OC or DC because we see it all the time. There has to be a first. Secondly, the people looking at Alex Van Pelt's track record and they say, oh, he was only there for one year in Buffalo. Well, number one, there was a regime change. Number two, the year he called plays, it was a last second decision to get rid of the OC. He was plopped in right before the year kicked off. And if you look, at what he had to work with in Buffalo, my freaking goodness, it is not good. He had good running backs. He had Fred Jackson, and he had Marshawn Lynch. But when you look at the rest of that offense, there wasn't a lot there, especially at quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And everybody remembers Fitzmagic because of all the commercials and stuff. Fitzpatrick was entirely mediocre, if not worse, in his NFL career. So... I can't sit there and say, oh, he's going to be good or bad off of that one season in Buffalo, given the circumstances and given the roster. So 
inevitably, I don't know if he's going to be good. I don't know if he's going to be terrible. But I think giving him the benefit of the doubt, to me, is the best approach. Because until he proves that he can't do it, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that he can't. As far as dream pick at number three, quarterback if you love the quarterback. And if it was today, I'm leaning Drake May. I'm studying more and more on these guys. I'm not a film a savant. So, you know, if you want that kind of stuff, Lazar's great at it. Phil Perry's really good at it. I watch some of the film, but I don't dig as deep as those guys do. I just tell you who I like and who I don't like going into the draft. And right now I lean Drake May at number three. And I would not be opposed to Jaden Daniels, but I think Jaden Daniels is going to need some more time. And I don't know if Daniels is as good of a fit with what they want to do offensively as, as somebody like May. All right, other coaching staff notes quickly before I get to Lawrence Guy, Adrian Phillips, and the impact on the roster from those two decisions yesterday. If you look at the numbers of this staff, this staff is, is bigger than it was with Belichick, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. And I know that there's been this thought process out there in the media that the, the small staff under Belichick was because Robert Kraft did not want to spend money on the staff. I keep going back to it. Bill Belichick went on record. Belichick publicly said that he does not like a gigantic staff. He doesn't like a lot of people because he likes to streamline the message. He, he believes that having a smaller staff allows you to communicate things at a higher level. Now, there's a lot of coaches, pretty much every single coach, aside from Belichick in the NFL, that would disagree with that notion and have big staffs. So Belichick went on record. He didn't like a big staff. Gerard Mayo staff, it is bigger than Belichick's. Right now, when you're counting Rothstein and, and Brown coming back, you have 23 coaches on the staff currently that we know of. You had 19 on the staff last year. So this is a bigger staff. Something else about this coaching staff, special teams. A lot of people did not like the idea of Jeremy Springer because he's never been a special teams coordinator. And, of course, people loved saying, oh, he, he was an assistant on the worst special teams unit in the league last year in L.A. All true. We've talked about it. And uh, I think that has to do with L.A.'s turning over of the roster, a bunch of UDFA guys on that roster because they spent a bunch of draft picks and trades, which eventually led to a Super Bowl, which was the goal, of course. But that is a young team with very low expectations out there in L.A. McVay did a fantastic job with them. But I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to throw shots at the second or third special teams coach on that team when they had a bunch of unknowns and they were changing their kickers. And they had a rookie punter. So for the people that were concerned about Springer and his lack of experience, this is similar to what I talked about on the offensive staff with Hughes and Bicknell. The Patriots go out and they get Tom Quinn. Now, Tom Quinn is somebody who's going to be the special teams assistant He's going to work with Springer, but the great thing about Tom Quinn is that he's been in the NFL forever. He's been a special teams coordinator for a long time. He worked on special teams for the New York Giants from 2006 to 2021. So you take the young, unproven Springer, and you support him with the experienced Tom Quinn. That makes sense. Shout out to Kobe Tippett, by the way, Andre Tippett's son, who is also going to be on the special teams staff. He's going to be an assistant coach uh, for those guys. So you've got Springer, you've got Quinn, and you've got Tippett. 
changing over the special teams staff. Defensively, no problem, right? They kept continuity, which is what I wanted them to do. They've got experienced guys that have coached in the front with Mayo and Covington and, of course, Montgomery. On the back end, you keep Pellegrino, you keep Brian Belichick. Makes a lot of sense to me. You marry the coverages with the fronts. Makes a lot of sense to me. They brought in outside linebackers coach that that works with blitzes. Wilkins is known during his time in Baltimore to craft some of those great Baltimore blitzes. So you bring somebody in that has some experience with that. He has experience with Judon. Again, makes a lot of sense. Can't tell you it's going to succeed or fail, but a lot of this is making sense to me. I don't know if it's making sense to you. Dante Hightower, bring him on in. Inside linebackers coach, slowly develop him. Was a fantastic player. Knows how to communicate to guys. Again, another young, talented cat. Covington, if he eventually becomes a head coach down the road, maybe you look at somebody like Hightower as your next defensive coordinator after he works within this system. And I'm not really worried about Hightower being a mess because you've got coverage, you've got support, you've got Mayo right there, and you've got Wilkins. Two guys that have worked as coaches in the league for more than five years with the linebacker position. And, of course, Mayo played the position, and so did Hightower. Makes a lot of sense. And the overall young energy. I love that vibe. The idea of connecting with players in 2024. They brought in a couple of young defensive coaches, quality control guys, and Vinny DePama and Jamea Lett. So the young mixed with the old. Communicating with the players nowadays. Developing younger coaches, supporting those younger coaches with experience. It just makes a lot of sense. To me, this looks like an actually well-thought-out plan, which I know flies in the face of what a lot of people are saying right now in the local media, which is fine. I like to stand alone on the island. I will fight this fight. I, I think this makes a lot of sense. And I've given you a number of reasons why it does. Not just throwing it against the wall. Not just being a bobo. All right, don't forget to like and subscribe. Trying to hit 2,000 subscriptions by March 1st. And, of course, every single thumbs up means more eyeballs. I feel like there's momentum. We're getting closer to 2,000 subscribers. I think people are figuring out what we do here, and they're enjoying it, which is great. And I appreciate every single one of you. Let's get to Lawrence Guy and Adrian Phillips. Both guys released last uh, night or early afternoon, whatever it was. Who knows? Everything's a blur. Yesterday. <laughs> Phillips and Guy, they gone. Uh, both guys were walking into the final years of their contract, so I don't think this is surprising to many people. Uh, both guys, by all accounts, good dudes, well-respected. Uh, both guys were productive on the field. Phillips less so last year. Lawrence Guy played his role very well for the vast majority of his time here with the Patriots. And so much respect to them. Lawrence Guy, he won the Walter Payton Award multiple times in the league. So he is somebody who is seen as a very, very good quality human being. And he's a good football player. He wasn't going to pay. Uh, he wasn't going to play rather for the money that they had on the books for him. He wanted more money last year. He obviously would want more money this year. They didn't feel that it was necessary to give him what he would want, so they're moving on. I do love this, this move by the Patriots, the timing of it, because it's respectful. This is what you do to veterans that you respect. 
You cut them in February. And if that sounds weird, it's not weird. Free agency is March 11th. The legal tampering period begins. March 11th, we'll start getting some news leaked out as to who might be going where. And I can't wait to do those shows. But when you look at the free agency schedule, you're around the middle of March. So what this does, the Patriots releasing Guy and Phillips right now gives those two guys an opportunity to go out there before free agency begins and find a team that they want to go to. It gives them a better shot at getting a job for next season. So this is the professional way to handle it. And I like that by the Patriots. You don't sit there through camp when you don't think you're going to keep the guy. If you know that he's not going to stay, if you know that he's not pivotal to the plan and you respect him, then you move on from the veteran in February because you give him the opportunity to find his next gig. That is the professional, respectful way to handle it, and I'm glad the Patriots did that. Don't forget, Gerard Mayo told us that the Patriots have money to burn, and they do. We've gone over that in prior podcasts. These two moves, they add uh, about $5 million to cap space. I know some people out there said that it was $6 million, but uh, I read this morning from Miguel Benzin, who I trust, that it is $5.17 million to be exact, so they, they create more cap space here. And I thought it was interesting, Mike Florio recently posted uh, for Pro Football Talk that the cap, a lot of people he's talking to, believe the cap's going to bump up to 243. He said that one source told him that the salary cap could actually be closer to $250 million. If you were wondering, the salary cap last year was 224.8. So if the cap goes up to $250 million, that is about a 12% bump. That would be gigantic. So we talk about the cap space right now for the Patriots. They'd have even more cap space if the salary cap does hit 250. If you're wondering, last year the bump was about 8%. So this creates more space to bring in more talent. And we're talking about two guys, especially Phillips. Phillips played 12% of the snaps last year. He was mostly a special teams guy. You look at the safety position, what is interesting is you have two dudes right now that you know you could keep unless you tag Kyle Duggar. Jabril Peppers has a contract. He's on the books for next year, so Jabril will be here, which is fantastic. He's one of my favorite Patriots. That guy plays his ass off. Love Jabril Peppers. So you've got Peppers, and you've got the early rights to Joshua Bledsoe. So Bledsoe and Peppers could be back. Does this mean that you're more likely to franchise tag Kyle Duggar? It could. Because when you look at safety, you like Bledsoe. Okay, so say you like Bledsoe. Not a guarantee that guy is going to be any good, right? He's been around for a few years, was a late-round draft pick. Seems to be improving. But they didn't feel like they had to keep him on the roster last year. So you have Bledsoe. He's, for all intents and purposes, an unknown. You've got Duggar who could get franchised, you've got Jabril Peppers. So I don't think it's nuts to believe that they could tag Duggar and draft a free safety at some point later in the draft to go out there and sign a free safety. So that could be an indication. That could be an indication that Duggar is going to get franchise tagged. Might not be, but it absolutely could be. Now, Lawrence Guy played 45.78% of the snaps last year. What this tells me 
is that Gerard Mayo, Demarcus Covington, they believe in Christian Barmore, who, by the way, one of the top priorities of this offseason is get Barmore extended, please. Please give Christian Barmore a freaking extension. He needs it. Absolutely needs it. He played like an all-pro for the final, like, three months of the season last year. Last two and a half months or so, he was unbelievable. He was unstoppable. He was getting doubled and still trucking dudes. So this tells me that Mayo, Covington, they look at Barmore and they say he's much better against the run now. He's a three-down player. So you've got Barmore, you've got Godchow, uh, Aguale, and Roberts. Now, does Keon White factor into this? How much will they play Keon White inside? And I also think you have to ask this question. What's the scheme going to look like? Matthew Judon on Radio Row said that week that he anticipates this defense to be much more aggressive. I don't think we should rule out some of the things schematically for this defense changing for 2024. I've read, I, I believe it was Greg Bedard, but I read that, you know, people feel like Covington might be more of the Brian Flores approach than the Matt Patricia approach. And Flores is very aggressive, blitzes, gets really funky up front. So if, if you're going to do that, maybe we'll see more versatility on this defensive line. And maybe you won't be looking for those big dudes who have to always stop the run. So I think we also have to keep an eye on the scheme and where they're going to go with this on that side of the football. One last note on Guy and uh, Phillips getting released. Bern Buckmasser, one of my favorite names in the world, who writes for Pat's Pulpit, he posted this yesterday. The Patriots entered Monday with 10 players over 30 on their roster. Of those 10, two have now been released, Guy and Phillips. One saw his contract voided, Trent Brown, and one retired, James Ferentz. You can also include Matthew Slater, who we talked about earlier. So you have a number of guys who are 30 and older leaving this roster, either voluntarily through retirement or being told that their services are no longer wanted. This is a youth movement, as Buck Mosser tweeted out yesterday. This is a youth movement of sorts in New England. So you want to change. Most of you want to change. The staff, tons of change. Offensive staff, almost completely overhaul. Team getting younger. Staff, for the most part, getting younger. Changing the offensive scheme. Changing the special teams coaching staff. You want to change, you're getting a lot of change. And for those worried that Gerard Mayo was just going to be another Belichick, doesn't look like it, does it? And that's why I said all through last year when we talked about Mayo as a possible replacement for Belichick, if Belichick was gone, do not go with the guilt by association. Just because somebody coaches on a staff, just because a player played for a coach, doesn't mean that that person is going to mimic everything that that coach did. And it's clear to me that Gerard Mayo has very different philosophies than Bill Belichick in a number of different categories. All right, that'll do it. Thank you for the super chats. Thank you for the likes. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to subscribe. Trying to hit 2,000 subscriptions by March 1st. Appreciate every single one of you for giving us that thumbs up. Let's continue to build this momentum. I think we could do something really cool here. So let's continue 
Let's continue to pound the like button. Let's continue to subscribe, comment, rate, and review on Spotify and Apple Pods. Appreciate your time today. Of course, if something big breaks later on, we're going to do a breaking news pod as we always do. If not, we're back here at 11 a.m. tomorrow on a hump day. Until then, thank you for joining us. This has been the Nick Cattle Show.